favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. there. Welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have award-winning Amish fiction author Kelly Irvin, who will introduce us to her latest release, Every Good Gift. Hello there, Kelly. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us again. And I have to tell you, every time I have you on the Buggy Talk podcast, my numbers go spiky. So oh, thank you for so that. Bad. So you have you you have a great following, Kelly. So That's thank you again you. for um, sharing your latest book with us, Every Good Gift. But before we do that, like you know, I love to just dig into your little head and find out some things that our listeners may not know about you. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. All right. So one of my questions, I wanted to find something a little different because we have been chatting on the buggy top for a couple of years now. So this is not your first, first time in the interview seat there. So tell us, Kelly, what was an early experience where you had learned that language had power? Well, I actually had a good a good time with this question. I had to think about it, but, you know, I was a, a newspaper reporter and I have a degree in journalism. Um, and so I've, I've always felt that the pen is mightier than the sword, but that sword can be a double-edged sword. And, you know, while this, you know, we learn early that the spoken word can be very uh, hurtful. You know, kids can be mean, but the written word has its own uh, set of uh, challenges. I was the editor of the high school newspaper, and I wrote an editorial saying that I didn't think that uh, we should be able to go off campus to eat lunch. And I don't know why I thought that, um, but I wrote the editorial and uh, the so-called popular boys, the football players, and the ones that had cars and money that could go off campus were really upset about it. So d during passing time when we were going, you know, through down the hallways to change classes, they would stand along the hallway or in the uh, foyer area. And as I walked by, they'd pelt me with spitballs. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, cat calls and things like that. They really showed their maturity. But, <laughs> you know, it was a lesson for me that my words had, um, wait and you know that people read them and it caused them to have a reaction and um you know it, it it was the idea that it's important that that we can influence actions and reactions with our words and um it i know that editorial struck a, a nerve with them and it's you know i learned that it's a role that i shouldn't take lightly um, and that sometimes there will be consequences for uh, the words that I that I do write. Uh, we that certainly see that beautiful. in social media now uh, as people, um, you know, use words to shape public opinion and sometimes in good and sometimes bad ways. Absolutely. That was perfect, Kelly. Thank you for sharing that. Tell us what your favorite underappreciated novel might be. <laughs> I really struggled with this, and I think that um, I, what I realized, it's more for me about undervalued authors rather than specific novels, and I 
looked at it from the perspective of a reader who loves to read, but also a, a writer who loves, um, you know, to read books that have extraordinary craft and um, that tell really un unforgettable stories. And so there were a couple of authors that came to mind that I think, you know, they, they're probably, you know, they have a lot of sales, but I don't know if people really uh, uh, think of them when they think of uh, extraordinary writers. And two of them were Charles Martin, uh, who does, who writes When Crickets Cry, Chasing Fireflies, Wrapped in Rain, uh, several other standalone stories that are just, um, it, you know, the characters just really stay with you after uh, you close the book. He has a new trilogy with uh, uh, Murphy Shepard, uh, that the water keeper and the, the letter keeper and those uh, stories as well are ones that I just really remember after I closed that book. Uh, and the other one is William uh, Kent Kruger. Uh, he's known for his mystery series uh, with uh, Quirk O'Connor, um, but he has some standalone novels, uh, Ordinary Grace and This Tender Land, that are just incredible. And I tell our, my writer friends and I kind of joke that we want to be uh, him when we grow up as writers because his craft is so incredible uh, and the stories are just so well told. Uh, and so those are authors that I, I think that um, could could receive more acclaim and attention uh, for their body of work. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, I one of my favorite part of these interviews is hearing what my author friends, what books you're reading and yeah. what stories just resonate with you. It's so interesting for me. And I have a list in my notebook of all these books that all of you have told me over the last couple of years. And every once in a while, I'll go back to that list and I'll pick one just off the wall. And every time I have not been disappointed with the yeah. books that you all are recommending. So thank well, you. It's always yeah. fun to, to, to read somebody completely different. It is. It is. So, Kelly, if you didn't write, what do you think you'd rather be doing? I know you love writing, but if writing wasn't an option, what other career path do you think you might have chosen? Well, you know, I, as I said, I, I was a newspaper reporter for 10 years, and which is a different kind of writing. But I also was in public relations for 22 years, and I had to uh, retire from my day job because of my health. And so I've done... Uh, sort of different things. There's some writing involved, but not the same. But if I couldn't write at all and my health allowed it, I would really want to work in a, a nonprofit setting like the food bank or um, uh, here in San Antonio, we have the Haven for Hope, which is a campus, a full service campus for people who are experiencing homelessness. And I think those are areas that I would love to help them you know, with volunteer recruitment or promote, promoting their, their needs. And, um, you know, it would be a very um, rewarding job, I think. Have you ever written that into any of your stories? I think that that avenue about um, people helping other people when they're down on their luck or, you know, even I volunteer at Meals on Wheels. So even mm -hmm. the same thing, that type of atmosphere and going out and reaching people who really need help is such a great storyline. Well, it, it, it does um, tell her no lies. It's one of my romantic suspense stories. And um, the uh, main character in that book does uh, volunteers at uh, Haven for Hope. The, the campus for people with home uh, experiencing homelessness and 
she does a lot. She's a photographer and she takes a lot of pictures that um, tell that story. And so it is part of it. And it, it comes out of a, a story that I won't go into detail about, but that involves a family member uh, who, who married into the family who experienced homelessness as a child. Um, and so, you know, it's a, an issue that I think is woven into the book in a way that really, I think, touches readers. Oh, well, perfect. We'll have to look for that one, too. So thank you for sharing a little bit about your writing career. And now we get to the fun part where we get to talk about every good gift. But before we do that, let me go ahead and read your back matter just so we can get our listeners in ready for what's about to come. So this is Kelly Irvin's Every Good Gift. During the most difficult season of her life, how could she know whether their meeting was a gift from God or another temptation? Maisie never expected that a plain girl like her could have her heart stolen by an English boy. But when her rumspringer ends and Maisie realizes she's pregnant, the reality of their choices and their differences set in. Maisie knows she will never leave her faith to marry her baby's father, but she also knows the road to acceptance as an unwed mother in an Amish community will be long and hard. To protect her family from the scandal, she goes to live with her cousin in Haven, Kansas, where she will have some solitude to figure out what kind of future she might have. In Haven, Maisie begins to find her way, thanks in no part to Joshua Lapp, a plain man who's made it clear he isn't bothered by her situation or ashamed to be seen with her despite the bishop's warnings. But Joshua has struggled with his fate ever since the death of his twin brother, leaving Maisie to wonder, how can two people who are so lost ever help each other discover God's plan for their future. Well, Kelly, isn't that one of life's most challenging situations that you're Certainly going to is. bring to life? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've all known somebody who has had to face that dilemma um, in their lives. So, and it's no different in an, in the Amish community than it is in the English community. And I am tickled when authors as popular as you bring stuff like that to light. So kudos to you. <laughs> so how about you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this particular story? Okay. Every Good Gift is um, part of a three-book series called Amish Blessings. And that series, um, which centers around different adoption scenarios, came out of a blurb that I uh, read in the budget newspaper a, a scribe was talking about an Amish couple who intended to adopt a baby uh, from a non-Amish woman who then changed her mind at the last minute. And so the scribe is talking about this couple needed the love and support of their community as they grieved the loss of this opportunity to start their own family. And that got me to thinking about adoption in the Amish communities and how that might be the same and different uh, than it is in the mainstream world. And um, so the three books are, are very different in terms of the adoption stories they tell. Uh, in Love's Dwelling, uh, there's a, a group of six children whose mother passes away, and they discover after her death that she wants them to go and live with their grandparents who are Amish. And they didn't know that they had Amish family, and they've been brought up in, you know, the, the non-Amish world. And this was just a, you know, a totally different they were 
fish out of water. And so um, it's a it's a, a story of two lives lifestyles coming together and, and blending. Um, and then uh, the warmth of sunshine. The second book is about an Amish, a, a woman who finds out. Um, that she's adopted uh, when her uh, biological mother, who's English, uh, comes to the house one day. Uh, and so that, you know, it completely rocks her world and turns it upside down. So um, each book is a little bit different. But in this one, I really wanted to look at how um, this this God can take this situation and make it into something good and special and um, that uh, Maisie can be uh, redeemed in that process. That was wonderful. So you've pretty much told us a little bit about the story as you gave us the inspiration. Where is this new series? Where is it set? And why did you choose that setting for this book? Well, Every Good Gift is set in Haven and Yoder, Kansas. Um, Yoder is the, would be probably the mailing address for a lot of these families, but they actually live in Haven, which is an area around Yoder. It's about uh, an hour and a half from my hometown of Abilene, Kansas, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to set uh, uh, some stories there. Went up to Kansas. I'm in Texas, and I, so I, I went up to Kansas and visited with family and combined that with a research trip in my mother and my two sisters and I all went to Yoder together and ate at the restaurant there. It's an itty bitty bitty uh, town that you blink, if you blink, you miss it. But it, we just had a lot of fun uh, spending some time together since we all live so far apart. Um, I also wanted it to, to set it in Yoder in that area because the Amish communities there use tractors, which is um, not common uh, with uh, Amish uh, communities. And you can see people come into town in their, their on their tractors to run errands and things like that. Um, uh, you, uh, you can see a tractor parked outside the school. Somebody has dropped a stop by the school. So um, I thought that was interesting in a, a way. I'd like to set each of my uh, series in different Amish communities uh, so that um, I can have new and fresh uh, scenarios to share with my readers. I have not written outside of my fictitious world yet. Um, I, I don't know if that's because I don't think that I have don't have anything left to write about in that area, but I have been very stuck in northwestern Pennsylvania and I have not ventured. I ventured a little bit over into Sugar Creek. One of my characters went to Sugar Creek. Um, but other than that, I have not, which which sort of tickles me that you like to write in different areas like that. I guess I never really gave that a um I never gave that any option. Well, it just gives me an opportunity to write different kinds of stories. Uh, you know, I set a, a series in Monta- Montana about the communities that were affected by wildfires. Um, you know, so, and then in Texas, there's only one Amish community, and it's very rustic, very rural, and just completely different from the sort of idyllic family in uh, settings that you find in uh, Lancaster County and places like that. So it gives, it's really an opportunity to tell s- stories a little bit differently. And I need that <laughs> to stay fresh. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're really making my wheels turn a little bit because, you know, <laughs> you know, even I've read a lot of your books and um, you have that series that's set in Montana you need that change of pace a little bit just to keep your creativity going. Yeah, it, it's really, it does. And setting them in South Texas was really 
um, a completely different story. You know, the the lifestyle is different and the the climate is so different. Um, it's, it's much harder for them to, to make a living and make ends meet in South Texas. <laughs> so, Kelly, how about you tell us what the message is in this book that you want your readers to see? Well, uh, a lot of it comes back to scripture in Romans 8, 28. Uh, we know that in, in all things, you know, um, God works for the good of those who love him. And that is a hard lesson for Maisie to learn, to, to try to understand how God can bring something good out of what she perceives to be this, this terrible mistake that she's made. You know, babies are gifts from God. And the Amish truly, truly believe that. Maisie believes that. But she's trying to understand how she can rectify this, this situation because in the Amish world, under, unlike in much of the mainstream world, this is just not something you do. Uh, having a child out of, uh, of wedlock, as we used to say, um, is just, you know, it's, it's a, a sin that the Amish, um, don't do if it's just an, uh, a situation that she doesn't know how to remedy and trying to find her way through that is just, it, it was really at times heartbreaking for me to write and, I was uh, telling someone the other day how much I enjoyed writing uh, Joshua Lapp because he uh, is a man who has his own flaws and his own problems, but he really uh, stands up and comes uh, around uh, to support her in a way that you just wouldn't expect a a plain man to do uh, or even an English man. So uh, it's really a story of grace and hope and redemption. How about you go ahead and read us that very first page to just pull us into the story even more. The nausea that had plagued Macy Glick for three months pummeled her. Her hands went to her still flat stomach as if she could calm it with a mere touch. She swallowed the bile in the back of her throat. Nate, say something, please. Nate Taylor was already mentally a hundred miles gone, racing down Missouri's back roads, Jamesport in his rear view mirror. They sat in his pickup, headlights blazing in the darkness, under an enormous burr oak just outside the fence. His lazy grin had disappeared when Maisie said the words in a family way. His hickory brown eyes that always warmed her with the slightest glance, filled with fear. He didn't meet her gaze. Instead, he got out of the truck and hopped over the barbed wire fence that separated the dirt road from the meadow where Maisie's neighbors pastured their horses. A quiet place with no ears to overhear except the beautiful Morgans that grazed nearby. One raised its head and whinnied. Nate stopped, but his desire to put space between Maisie and himself had been apparent in his hurried stride through the tall grass and weeds. I don't know what to say. We were done. I haven't seen you in two months. Say it'll be all right. Say you know what to do. Feel almost Maisie's um, desperation. When she said, you know, yeah, tell me it'll be okay. So, Kelly, how about you share with our listeners what is next for Kelly and what are you working on right now? Gosh, I'm excited to share. It's it's a a big year for me. I have Every Good Gift coming out February 7th. Um, A romantic suspense novel, A Deadly Wilderness, is being re-released in paperback and ebook in May. Uh, and then I have a new series starting in August with the release of The Heart's Bidding, which is the first book in the 
Amish Calling series that features uh, a family of auctioneers that um, live in Virginia. Then in December, my first women's fiction novel, The Year of Goodbyes and Hellos, releases. And this last book, I'm just really excited to share with readers. It's about an oncologist who jumps off the fast track to walk through a cancer diagnosis with her sister, uh, which draws from my experience as a woman living with stage four ovarian cancer. So um, I'm just really thrilled that my publisher is giving me a, the opportunity to share that story with readers uh, and to to strike out in, in a, a new uh, genre for me. Um, so it, there's just, it, it's a very exciting year. Oh, it sounds it. And you've been talking about that new women's fiction book um, for a little while now. And I think a lot of us are anticipating um, to read it because I do think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of your story will be weaved in amongst the pages of that Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes, so. it, it will. And, you know, and all of the, the, the anxiety and the stress that, that you try not to feel in those situations and how you come to some, come to grips with your situation and, and how God uh, walks through that with you is, uh, I think, uh, really a, a critical part of, of telling the story uh, when you um, are a, a Christian and you're trying to figure out how uh, to make your faith line up with the circumstances that you're going through. I'm sure that book is going to reach um, lots of women walking in the same shoes. So I just want to say in advance, thank you, Kelly, for writing your story that we all can read. I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Okay. So go ahead. And if you're, if there's anything you would like to say to your readers, now's your, now's your chance. Well, I, I guess I would say that I just so appreciate them sticking with me. And I know that uh, it, times are, are tough and, and lean and people don't have a lot of discretionary income. And I just really appreciate when they, um, do buy my books and share them with others and you know check them out for, at the library. Um, that kind of support is just wonderful. Um, I just so appreciate them and they're, I love hearing from them. It's uh, always uh, nice to, to get an email from a reader and uh, I'd love to respond to this so they should feel free to send me a, an email at kelly at kellyirvin.com. So as you know, I love to do this crazy little speed round. It's one of my favorite parts of these podcasts. Uh, responses that I get is, oh, I just love your little fun rounds. So here we go for my crazy okay. questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Would you rather have your hand in a bowl of jelly beans or a bowl of fresh strawberries? Well, I like strawberries, but it's going to be the jelly beans. <laughs> Me too. Okay. We are avid readers, all of us authors. So tell our listeners where your most worn place in your house is to read a book. I have a chair that my husband uh, gave me for uh, Christmas a couple of years ago. It's a recliner that is electric. So it, it actually lifts me up and sets me on my feet. So I can electrically push myself down and lay back and read and then push the button and it'll bring me back up to my feet. It's the best. <laughs> it sounds the best. It sounds the best. It is. Okay. Share with our listeners one of your favorite childhood memories. Oh, going to the library for story hour, checking out all my books and 
I had to, we walked like there were five of us. I had four brothers and sisters and we would walk out to the, about a mile to the library in the summer. And then we'd walk a mile home with our books. And I had my big pile of books and I couldn't wait to get home and read them. Oh, that is, um, as a nerdy author, <laughs> that would be one of my favorite childhood yep. memories too, because I, we had the bookmobile. We didn't have a library oh, nearby, fun. so we had a bookmobile. So we looked forward to the bookmobile. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for spending time with us this week on the Buggy Talk podcast. And I look forward to hearing more about your future projects. And I do believe we already have you on the podcast schedule for later in the year. So we're excited about that. And to all of you listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of every good gift look for the link in the show notes of this episode that you can find on my website at tracysamishbooks.com or you can go to buggytalkpodcast.com there you'll find a complete list of some of your favorite amish fiction authors and all the great books they add to the amish landscape